to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we are discussing episodes 13 and 14 of The Story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For these podcast episodes, we first do a drama episode recap and then discuss the culture and history portrayed in those episodes. Do check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas and also visit us on our website at www.chasingdramas.com. Our website has just been revamped. We've also added a couple more reviews or initial thoughts on currently watching dramas, so please do check us out. There are a couple of threads to follow in these two episodes. A primary one is the evolution of Xian Fei, and the other is that we meet Yi Qingwang, or Prince Yi. In the last episodes, Ying Luo offered to dispose of Gao Guifei's dog after it wreaked havoc during the Empress's lychee party and destroyed her lychee trees. We start off this episode with Fu Hong, the handsome imperial guard and younger brother to the Empress, finding out that Ying Luo did not actually kill the dog, but rather stashed it away for safekeeping. This lowers Fu Hong's alertness around Ying Luo, warming up to her more and offers to take the dog away to be raised by a loving family. Little does he know that Ying Luo did all of this in order to lower his suspicion of her. She calls herself a bad person, but we see that she's not all that bad. Elsewhere, Xian Fei's brother has been embroiled with a corruption scandal. She only just got some money as a reward from the Empress to send her brother for medical care as he's been jailed and has fallen ill. But one night, the Emperor arrives to visit Xian Fei. He is utterly furious because Xian Fei's father has used the reward money for bribery. The goal, or his goal, was to reduce Xian Fei's brother's sentence. But now, Xian Fei's father has landed himself in jail because this is something that the emperor cannot tolerate. Xian Fei's brother just got thrown in jail for corruption, and now his father did the same. Xian Fei is in utter shock. Her father raised her to be righteous and outstanding. She does not believe that her father would stoop so low as to bribe anyone. The emperor permits Xian Fei to go to prison to ask the truth herself from her father. She does so, and sadly, her father confirms that, at the pushing of her mother, he did try to bribe officials to help her brother. Xian Fei's world comes crashing down in an instant. She feels betrayed by her father for what he's done, especially given how hard she's had it in life in the palace. On her way back to the palace, she meets her mother waiting for her. This mother mm, is a real piece of work. I can't remember if I've seen her in any drama where she's like a good mother. But in any case, I feel bad for Xian Fei because it's all because of her mother's nagging that her father chose to bribe in the first place. This mother is a selfish woman who wants to use her family to further her position. But unfortunately, it doesn't matter anymore as news comes to the mother-daughter pair that Xian Fei's brother 
has passed away in prison. Xianfei's mother is absolutely distraught and yells at her daughter for being useless. Right after these harsh words, she runs towards the wall and kills herself. Poor Xianfei. In one day, she lost two loved ones and her world has been turned upside down. The Empress, saddened by what has transpired and after hearing the news, pushes the Emperor to go lightly on Xianfei's father, to which the Emperor agrees. But after thinking through everything that she's endured, Xianfei wakes up the next morning a completely new woman. We like to joke that she is now Niu Hulu Xianfei. She recognized the importance of power and true strength in the palace and will take steps to secure her position. In my mind, she played the game in the palace of trying to be independent and not be connected in any way or care about palace games and only love her husband, but she played this game and lost. And now we have Niu Hulu Xianfei. It took Jin Huan and Jin Huan Zhuan like 40 episodes to get here, and it's taken Xianfei like 12, 13 episodes. So, you know, she's Progress. on a, yes, she's on <laughs> a roll. Turns out everything that happened to her, not everything, but much of it was orchestrated in part by Gao Guifei and Jia Guiren with the aid of Yi Qingwang or Prince Yi. Prince Yi, despite being a prince, is only a cousin of the emperor and not someone who is entirely favored. He wants to partner with Gao Guifei's family to further his career. Gao Guifei and Jia Guiren think it is prudent to use him to get rid of their current adversary, Wei Yingluo. And so, Yi Qingwang partners with Yingluo's quote-unquote old friend. And I will say that sarcastically, because it is Qingxi, the imperial guard that Yi Qingwang chooses. Qingxi, if you'll recall, had a thing for Yingluo's late sister. Meanwhile, Yingluo starts learning to write calligraphy under the tutelage of the empress. Yingluo's calligraphy skills are so abysmal, but at least she's learning. It doesn't take long for Yingluo to amass a large number of pages with her written words. She's also created a rather rudimentary contraption to help secure her hand while writing Chinese calligraphy. It's a skill that she's learning late, but honestly better late than never. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if in that day and age, when I had to learn calligraphy, I probably needed also some sort of contraption to make sure that my hands didn't tremble. Well, one day, as Yingluo is sending something somewhere, a line of guards walk by her. At the end of the line is Qingxi, who whispers to her that he knows the truth about her sister's death and to meet him that night in the Imperial Garden. But just as she's thinking about those words back at her room, she realizes that one of the pages of her writing deck has gone missing. That night, Yingluo goes to the agreed-upon spot. Qingxi arrives and tries to drag Yingluo off, but the moment he tries to do so, she loudly yells that there's a bad guy and for people to come beat him up. Immediately, a huge crowd of eunuchs arrive and start kicking and beating Qingxi. My question is, Qingxi, you're an imperial guard. How did you not know there was like a whole bunch of eunuchs just hiding in wait for you? Not long after, Yi Qingwang arrives to break up the fight. Qingxi hurriedly tattles that it was Wei Yingluo that was trying to do, seduce him. 
Yi Qingwang immediately tries to punish Ying Luo for breaking palace rules, but Ying Luo is not going to take this so easily. She says that she's here at night to pick up some herbs for the empress. Why else would she have brought so many eunuchs with her? There's no way she was here to sneak a meeting with Qingxi with so many people in tow. But it's not like Yi Qingwang cares. Just as he's about to drag Ying Luo off for punishment, Fu Hong arrives and requests that they resolve the matter in front of the emperor, who just so happens to be playing chess with him, Fu Hong, nearby, and they heard the ruckus. In front of the emperor, Qing Xi claims that Ying Luo has been trying to seduce him for a while and asked him to meet her at the garden tonight. He, Qing Xi, set up a trap in order to catch her because he knows this is against palace rules. He even brings out evidence that she was the one to ask him out. He produces a letter that he claims she wrote him to meet him tonight. Ying Luo takes one look at the note and is able to loudly proclaim that this note is fake. She produces her own evidence, which is her wad of papers with her own calligraphy writing. There are a couple of holes in Qing Xi's plot. First, Ying Luo has numbered all of the pages with her writing, and just today she noticed that the 28th page has gone missing. Second, the paper that was used to write the note for Qingxi uses an entirely different and much more expensive kind of paper than what she has been using. Lastly, her writing has improved in the last month since she wrote that 28th page. If they compare her writing today versus the writing on the page that was stolen, there should be vast differences. This means that she must not be the one to have written that note, and it is fake. Seeing that the truth is about to be revealed, Prince Yi and Qingxi immediately start blaming each other for the events of the evening. Wu Yingluo continues to further suggest that this is not as simple as trying to harm a lonely maid. Given that she works for the Empress, this was a plot to question the Empress's ability to rule the Imperial Harem and perhaps remove her from power. Realizing that the stakes now just got a lot bigger, the emperor orders 100 canings for Qingxi, and he is to be removed from his post and investigated. Ying Luo is told to return back to the palace and practice writing 100 more times. Everybody, the emperor is like, um, you dare call that calligraphy? That's basically chicken scratch. It's a wonder the empress has time for you. And I took a look at it. It's really hard, guys. Calligraphy is no joke. It's really hard. She's trying. Karen, anything to say about that? Well, the reality is that the emperor uses as an excuse to just tell Yingluo to leave. He's upset at her, but not wholly upset. He understands that she has been set up to take her out. After everyone leaves, the emperor turns his ire towards Prince Yi. The emperor even lands a couple of pretty harsh kicks on his cousin. Honestly, this emperor likes to kick people way too much, which is certainly a no-no, but it's fun for us viewers. Yeah, don't do this. It's not cool. <laughs> After much pressing, Prince Yi reveals that it was Jia Guren's father who asked Prince Yi to help get rid of this maid, given that Ying Luo was the one to cause Jia Guren to get demoted. Jia Guren if Yoro Call was Jiapin and got demoted because she was 
implicated in the whole Li scandal. This infuriates the emperor and immediately orders that Jia Guiren's son is taken away from her. We'll end the episode recap here as the rest of the episode links directly into episode 15, and we'll discuss that in more detail next time. But for now, Ying Luo is upset that Jia Guiren is not punished too harshly, nor is Yi Qingwang. Sure, Qingxi got the short end of the stick and is going to be no longer, but that's not a big deal. If we actually think about what has transpired, to be honest, Prince Yi uh, or Yi Qingwang and Qingxi's little tactics are just too childish and rudimentary. We do find out that Fu Hong was looking out specifically for Ying Luo, and that is why the emperor was in uh, Yu Huayuan or the Imperial Gardens to begin with that night. Before we talk about history, let's do a little bit about pop culture related to these couple of episodes. Right now, we have the initial form of Ling Ho CP or the Consort plus Empress CP. In China, people love to pair different characters with characters and form CP or the what it actually means is couples with each other. I don't know exactly where CP originated well, from. Well, CP is like, like the short, short of couples. I don't know. Well, Wei Yingluo's future title is Consort Ling. So right now it's Ling Ho CP, meaning Ling for Ling Fei or Wei Yingluo and Huang Ho for our empress. Everyone loves the relationship between Wei Yingluo and the empress because it's so wholesome. The empress is kind of like a big sister that Yingluo lost. And this is one to watch in the upcoming episodes because I remember reading the comments saying, who needs the men? Can the ladies just get on with their lives? We, of course, also have the competing couple of Wei Yingluo and Fu Cha Fu Hong. But that's like a little bit more hidden right now. In the past couple of episodes, we did have the very tropey scene where Yingluo falls and Fu Hong catches her, which, you know, I kind of rolled my eyes at that, which is why we also didn't cover it really in the episode recap. But that is the other competing couple. Yes. For me, I mean, honestly, anybody who's seen this, you realize how lovely a person the Empress is and why Yingluo is such a sweet and, yeah, sweet and loyal fan to the Empress. Lastly, let's also just talk about Charmaine's character, Xian Fei. In this drama, her name is Shu Shen, and obviously in Ru Yi Zhuan, or Ru Yi's Love in the Palace, it's the same character, her name is Ru Yi. In history, nothing like what happened in the drama happened to her family, so this is all for the drama in Empress's, or sorry, in Yanxi Palace. Moving past that, we now get the beginnings of, like I said, Niu Huru Xian Fei, which is tying back together to the empresses in the palace. We say this again, the trope is when Zhen Huan, the main character for Empresses in the Palace, returns to the palace as Niu Hulu Zhen Huan. She is a total badass. The makeup, it gets darker. She's wearing darker colors. And she's not just that, just like the eyeliner, the lipstick, etc. And she's ready to take it all in the palace. We're not exactly there yet, for Xian Fei, but Charmaine does an amazing job of changing that tone and the her gaze that even Ying Luo picked up on in uh, in these two episodes. She's also starting to wear darker clothes, <laughs> darker clothes. But at least Charmaine, um, so Xian Fei doesn't 
have darker makeup. Yeah. I think it was way too obvious for Jim Kwan. <laughs> All right. Now let's turn our attention towards history. There's quite a bit in these two episodes. First up is the discussion between Wei Yingluo and the Empress towards the end of episode 13, our Ling Ho CP. Wei Yingluo is practicing calligraphy and quotes, 有天下者,天下之主。this quote comes from which is a derivative of comprehensive mirror and aid of governance. This was also a historiography that was compiled by the Northern Song scholar Liu Nu and was published in the late 11th century. There is a larger zizhi tongjian that was compiled by Sima Guang, but this is, again, a derivative. And this compilation includes the history of the Zhou dynasty. The story is essentially what the empress discussed during the episode. The king in question is King Wen of Zhou or Zhou Wen Wang. He lived from roughly 1152 to 1056 BC. Okay, I don't think he lived like a hundred years. Maybe that's legend. Wikipedia has him listed as having died at the age of 62, but Bai Ke noted that he died at the age of 97. And both places do have him like listed as the full 100 years rough estimate as his lifespan. So maybe he did live that long. Anyways, Zhou Wen Wang was posthumously granted the title as the founder of the Zhou Dynasty way back all the way in you know, 1000 BC. In Chinese culture and legend, he is one of the most famous kings, to the point that he is named the Culture King. Many hymns in the classics of poetry or Shijing praise the legacy of this King Wen of Zhou. Back to the story. The King Wen of Zhou was out in the wilderness and spotted a skeleton lying on the ground. He asked his guard to bury the skeleton. The guard said, this is a skeleton that no one wanted. To which the king responded, the owner of the riches of the world is the owner of the world. The owner of the land of a country is the owner of the country. As such, I am the owner of the skeleton because I own both the country and the riches of the world. How can I let him or her lay out in the open? The land and its people are the responsibility of the king. So the purpose of this story is to paint the king in the light as a benevolent ruler. I will say uh, the story is great, but the phrase itself, so 有天下者,天下之主, this whole phrase is a really good phrase to practice calligraphy. The characters aren't very hard, and it's a very good way for Yingluo to learn from the empress the ways of the world. She really is a little bit prickly, and hopefully the empress you know, calms her down a little bit. Okay, next up, let's talk about Tiamao Wang or the Iron-Capped Prince. This is the title that Prince Yi has. In the drama, the Empress often tries to persuade Wei Yingluo to be wary of Yi Qingwang because of his status as a Tiamao Wang or an Iron-Capped Prince. So what is this? Well, in the Qing dynasty, sons do not automatically inherit their father's title of the same rank. 
the rank will be downgraded a level for each subsequent descendant. As a favored son of an emperor, typically the son would be awarded the status of He Shuo Qin Wang, or Prince of the First Rank. The prince's son would be downgraded to the title of Prince of the Second Rank, or Jun Wang. He wouldn't inherit a title of Qin Wang. Of course, there would only be one son who inherits the official title. It's somewhat tough luck for the other sons who do not inherit titles, but might be granted some other courtesy titles. If we compare it to the English aristocracy, think of it as if Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex's son, Archie, doesn't inherit his father's title, but can only be granted the title of Marcus. This is just an example because I know that Prince Harry declined titles for his children, but this is a what-if scenario. Back to the drama and iron-capped princes, in the Qing Dynasty, there are 12 iron-capped princely peerages, which meant that the title could be passed down to subsequent generations without being downgraded. This means that a Qing Wang's son would also be granted the title of a Qing Wang. Compare this to Downton Abbey, where the Earl of Grantham's heir will still inherit the title of the Earl. Please note that even if a prince was convicted of a crime, the peerage would not be abolished. Instead, the peerage would just pass down to another descendant. These iron-capped princes enjoyed much more privileges than even a normal prince of the first rank. This includes, of course, first Shu Xi Wang Ti, which means the title isn't demoted and sons automatically inherit the title. It also includes a special house or manor for the family and a basic salary of 10,000 taels of silver and 10,000 hu of rice. If you are ever in Beijing, some of these princely houses are still open to the public. The first eight iron-capped prince titles were granted to sons and family members who were directly involved in the conquest of China and were descendants of either Nor Hachi or Huang Taiji, the founder of the Qing Dynasty and the second emperor of the Qing Dynasty, respectively. Eh, depending on who you call the first and second emperor. Yeah, it depends on uh, when they actually entered into China or conquered China as like listing the first or second emperors. Some famous princes include Dai Shan, Guan, and Duo Duo. They all enjoyed imperial tablets or plaques found within the imperial ancestral temple. We talked about this in episodes 8 and 9 as being a very big deal. Which brings us to Yi Qing Wang. Yi Qing Wang, uh, or the first one, was the father of the current Yi Qing Wang and the first iron capped prince to be granted by Emperor Yongzheng. This is Ying Xiang, who was the 13th prince, son of Emperor Kangxi and one of Emperor Yongzheng's biggest allies. He was one of the few princes who allied with Emperor Yongzheng during the Nine Lords War. For his services, Emperor Yongzheng granted him the title of Yi Qing Wang, making him the ninth Iron Cap Prince. There were only three more Iron Cap Princes granted after this. Let's now turn our attention to Yi Qing Wang in the drama. His name is Hong Xiao and was the seventh son of Yin Xiang. What's interesting is that he wasn't the firstborn or born from the main wife and inherited the title when he was only eight, which is when his father died. 
There's some speculation that Ying Xiang deliberately chose this because this would reduce some wariness from the emperor. If this uh, Yi Qingwang chose a more established son, the emperor might purposely find ways to strip his family's power. Nevertheless, that still sort of happened. During the reign of Emperor Qianlong, our emperor, in 1739, Hong Xiao's older brothers were caught in the middle of a palace scandal and punished. Hong Xiao, or now we'll call him the Prince of Yi, was only allowed to be an imperial bodyguard, similar to what we have in the drama. After a couple of years, he was demoted from that role by the emperor because he apparently didn't have a small knife with him while praying to the ancestors. This is a little different from the drama, but let's just say he also had a rough time. What's worse, Emperor Xianlong gifted one of the residences that was previously gifted to the first Prince of Yi to none other than Fu Cha Fu Hong. The Prince of Yi's family then basically had to move out and find somewhere else to live. After all of this, Prince Yi or Hong Xiao turned his attention to the gentlemanly arts, like the proper gentlemanly arts, in which he made quite a name for himself as a writer and poet. He enjoyed reading more common books and was close to some of the most famous writers of the day, or at least his family was. He also had a prized collection of books. After the fall of the Qing dynasty and in recent decades, there was an attempt at archiving his collection, and a preliminary list had the number of what he collected at over 4,500 books. Hong Xiao died in 1778 at the age of 57. The title of the Prince of Yi or Yi Qingwang was passed down to eight generations with nine princes. The last Prince of Yi died in 1948. And finally, for today, let's talk about Xuan Zhi or rice paper. This is a kind of paper that originated from China and is used for writing and painting. Paper is one of the four treasures of the study or Wen Fang Si Bao. The four include the brush, ink, paper, and ink stone. The most famous rice paper is called Xuanzhi and comes from Anhui province, specifically Jingxian. This is the rice paper used as planted evidence against Yingluo. Indeed, Xuanzhi comes from the Xuan prefecture in which the Jing County resides. Jingxian is famous for its production of Xuanzhi. The moist climate and various flora make it the perfect location for paper production. This tradition has lasted to this day, and the primary tree used for paper production is Qing Tan Shu. It is endemic to China, and the fiber from its bark is used to make Xuan paper. I actually just saw a recent TikTok video, I think, of a guy using the traditional techniques to make paper. As of 2015, there were about 300 companies producing various types of xuanzhi, totaling around 800 tons of paper. The first records of xuanzhi dates all the way back to the Tang Dynasty when it was listed as an imperial tribute item. Xuan paper has been greatly favored as paper of choice for millennia. Countless Chinese books and paintings use this type of paper. It makes a ton of sense that they did. The paper has a smooth surface, is pure, and has a clean texture. It's also 
I think rather resistant to corrosion, moth, and mold. There are pieces of art and books that have survived millennia on this type of paper. In episode 13, we also see the Empress's maids cutting, ironing, and indeed spraying water on paper. Typically, what happened was that the xuanzhi, or rice paper, comes in large sheets. They then need to be cut or resized to the desired length. Of course, there are some that are also pre-cut with lines, and ironing was done to help smooth out some of the creases. That's also the same with spraying water. When I first watched episode 13, I was like, uh, why are they doing that? Well, that's the reason. We do actually have a stack of Xuanzhi at home to practice calligraphy. Kathy, in particular, likes practicing calligraphy, though she does it more with ink pen, while as I actually write it with um, a brush. We aren't super fancy to know all the different elaborate types of rice paper, but there is a marked difference in some of the paper we used. If you ever get the chance to check out some rice paper used for calligraphy, Chinese calligraphy at least, please do check it out and see where it's from. You might find something interesting. And that is it for today's podcast episode. We meet an interesting character of Prince Yi, but his fate in this drama isn't going to be for too long. And we have Xian Fei turning to the dark side. Thank you all so much for listening to today's podcast episode. If you are looking for Chinese dramas to watch, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, that has a number of Chinese dramas and movies to watch with English subtitles all for free on their platform. Online, you can access them via Jumo or XUMO, the website. And also on TV, you can access them via Xfinity, Cox Contour, and Sling TV. The music you heard today is the piece... Played by yours truly on the Chinese Zither. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you all in the next episode.